your playing itself only goes so far. That gets you in the door, that gets you in the conversation, but can you do all of the other things? Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, where musicians go to learn how to navigate the new music economy. My name is Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career in music. My guest today is Brandon Commodore. He's the drummer and band leader for Stokely, who is also the lead singer of Mint Condition, a band that has almost a million monthly listeners on Spotify. Stokely is now out on his own, growing his name as an artist in the R&B scene, doing shows with people like Usher and doing collaborations with people like Snoop Dogg and PJ Morton on his latest record. What's unique about Stokely is that he's a singer and he's a drummer. He's a songwriter and a band leader. Now, Brandon, he's actually the musical director for Stokely's band. Not only that, Stokely essentially mentored Brandon in his music from an early age. Imagine this. Imagine being the son of two musicians, one of whom was the original drummer in the Grammy award-winning band Sounds of Blackness, and the other a singer in that same Grammy award-winning band. Imagine growing up in that music, in that scene, attending rehearsals, being there and seeing it and hearing it firsthand. Man, you know, I haven't, uh, I've actually been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, as I have a daughter who's five yep. and uh, our experiences are vastly different. Um, how my sister and I were always in my parents' rehearsals and, or they were having rehearsals at the house or whatever the case, we were always involved in their, in their stuff, whether it be rehearsals or performances, we would be there somewhere nearby. Yeah. And my daughter is just now starting to experience something. She's been to shows before. She's been to a couple of rehearsals, but just not to the uh, frequency that my sister and I grew up um, experiencing. So I think about that a lot, actually. And so for me, man, it was, I don't really know another way. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of the norm to me. Like we had to go to rehearsals and we were friends with other kids who had performing parents as well. So they knew that life as well. So it yeah. just kind of seemed like the norm. Um, so who are like being... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, who are some of the other kids that were in that circle? Like, are you still making music with any of them? Like uh, Ian Young, who's oh, yeah. Jay Young, a phenomenal bass player. So, yeah, I grew up spending a lot of time with Ian um, and other people like, you know, those kids grew up around the sounds of blackness and things like that. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot of people still active. A lot of people just continuing to carry on what they what they've been handed to them. So growing up, uh, you grew up around the music. You're in the music. You end up going to music school. I think you transferred, but you ended up going to McNally Smith, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to McNally as it was still music tech. Um, I started out uh, my first uh, semester as a freshman in college. I was at Concordia University, mm -hmm. um, but I knew like it just wasn't going to give me the instruction in music that I was looking for, and I wasn't interested in my world communications course or any of that other stuff. So, right, right. I got on with uh, you know with Gordy and to see what was possible, and in a couple of weeks, I was starting at McNally. By January of my freshman year, I was there. So, did you learn anything in particular there that about like musicianship or industry that was that that was lasting that really stuck with you? Uh, you know, a lot of that came from before school with my parents. But what I will say about my time at Music Tech or McNally, as it's known, there there was class we had that was called Contemporary Literature, uh, where we had to learn songs and it had to be in a different genre every week 
Um, oh, cool. And we were, you know, we would have time. Each instrument would have time to kind of work out the tune and, you know, read the chart and learn the song or whatnot. And you had time to prepare and then come back and you had to perform it with a group of your peers in front of the teachers. Um, wow. And so, like I said, every week it was a different genre. And that to me is what kind of spoke to me as a musician because I would practice that way growing up, kind of shaped me and it helped me move on to, you know, one of my first gigs as a professional musician was working with the R Factor band. And mm -hmm. that band, on my first day, they gave me a book of charts with 498 charts in it. Um, and it ranged from every kind of song you can imagine, from polka, jazz, R&B, disco, everything is in that bag. Um, yeah, and yeah. so I think, you know, the principles instilled in us in that class kind of helped me transition to that very, very easily. And then that's what led me to keep moving on and working as a musician one of those two experiences where you got to play everything and not just play it but play it well or you know play it efficiently and so i think that's one of the things that i remember from music tech big time that still sticks with me is just how to understand and approach different music different styles yeah so when you got that r factor book and it was some ridiculous number of tunes how did you go about learning all that music did you try to do some of it on the fly or were you like i have to prepare every single one of these tunes i got to make sure i know the ins and outs man even in my young and crazy days i would never try to learn 500 songs i mean there's just no way <laughs> and i and i at, back in that time i like i would bank on that like i can remember songs that's yeah. one thing that saved me in my whole career is i can learn songs quickly and retain them um however i did not try <laughs> to learn all 500 <laughs> there was kind of like maybe 40 tunes that that you knew kind of were going to be in the rotation yep, and yep. after the first you know couple gigs or so i kind of knew what i needed to do and for me it was really just like reading the charts man like getting sharp on that like i can read um but at that time sight reading you know on the fly was not my strong suit now during all this time of brandon's development he was also being groomed by stokely stokely would come by and hang and play with him when he was in college and kind of mentor him along the way because of my parents obviously their affiliation with sounds of blackness and everything that was going on in that camp you know they were a part of the same label at the time sounds and mint yep. and another group named low key um and so we would get like their press releases all the time. They would send, you know, I don't know if you remember when CDs would come and then you'd get the single on a CD. Yeah, yeah. And so these singles would come to the house and it'd have like 17 remixes on it. Like it'd be, it'd be crazy. So that's how I first started to find out about Mint Condition. And I remember being at a Juneteenth celebration and Stoke happened to be there and my father introduced me. And that's, this is very young. Yeah. But it was, it was about high school when I was graduating. Some of the guys in Mint were starting an uh, Afro-Cuban jazz band called Joto that Stoke was playing drums in. And so they were just getting that off the ground. And my parents actually booked them to perform at a, me and a friend of mine's uh, graduation party. And so from there, that's when I first got to like sit in with those guys and uh, the relationships really started there. So shortly after that, we would keep in touch and he'd check in on me from time to time. And yeah, he definitely started pulling up at Music Tech with me and Eric Ballard. And there was another guy named uh, Steven Jokes uh, was hanging around there. And then I don't know if you know, Ryan Bynum was around some yeah. of that time, too. Yep. Yeah, so there was a lot. There was a lot of guys, and yeah, every now and then, man, stuff would come pull up, and we'd pull up into the uh, one of the rehearsals, into the practice rooms that had two kids, and go at it. That's so cool. That's so cool. And now you're touring with them. I mean, that just seems like he put some investment in you, 
and now is reaping those benefits. I mean, at, w- with you as his touring drummer, I think that's such a cool thing. For sure, absolutely, man. And I'm I'm forever grateful, not just to him, but you know, to the other other four guys in mid condition as well. Like when they were looking for a drummer at the time that I auditioned, they could have chosen. They had their pick of the litter, man. They could have chosen anyone. And so the fact that I've been given the opportunity to roll in that camp has just been, I'm forever grateful. That's rad. Brandon has toured all over the world with Stokely, Mint Condition, and Sounds of Blackness. By the way, he took over his dad's job as the drummer for Sounds of Blackness before joining Mint Condition and Stokely's band. In an age when it feels like we have to be really active on social media to be noticed, it was hard not to notice how little Brandon posts on social media. And I think that's a really fascinating thing. And I asked him, how do you get connected with bands if you don't have a passion for posting on social media and you really just want to build in-person contacts and tour a bunch? Your playing itself only go so far that gets you in the door that gets you in the conversation but can you do all of the other things simple things being on time being prepared being you know somewhat easy to work with there'll always be problems there may be some discrepancies but can you for the most part get along with the people that you're working with or working for i think that those are the key things that have helped keep me um in 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 the positions that i'm in uh just because i've been reliable I've been reliable, I've been dedicated, and that's never going to change. And, you know, if someone has me as their drummer, there's very little they have to worry about from me, you know? Right, right. Reliability. Yeah, for sure. It has to to be reliable. Like, a person who's hiring you has to know that you're going to be there. Right, right. And what about, like, personalities being compatible? Is that a factor with, you know, you're spending a lot of time on the road with people, and you're only spending a couple hours on stage, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, in the groups, you know, not just not pinpointing main condition at all. The groups that I've been in have already kind of been past that hanging out phase. So the partying was already over. So it's like after that gig to the room, (laughs) maybe meet for a quick bite or have a drink at the bar or whatever. But for the most part, there's a lot of alone time and separation, which I think is I think is good. And I think is healthy. Um, Yeah. But yeah, man, you got to be able to you have to be able to understand that, you know, you're not the only one here. So everyone here is going through something, whether it's the same experience you're having or not, we're all going to deal with something. So when you're on stage, you just got to do your job to leave it off stage. And then when you're off stage, you got to do your best to, you know, just manage yourself like a responsible adult. Amid all of his personal connections and family connections in music, Brandon was also trying to build his own thing and go his own way. He and his friends teamed up and they created a studio and their idea for the studio was to play live music to help them support paying for the studio. This this is a model that I had never really heard before and it was interesting to hear Brandon talk about. My my good friends, uh, David Billingsley and and our buddy Beef, um, who was a rapper and a producer, um, I had been working with those two guys very closely in music production and recording. And we had, you know, we converted this old office space into our recording studio. Mm-hmm. And so we were trying to figure out how can we find ways to not have to rely on people booking the studio to keep being able to finance the studio. Yeah. So we had this idea of just, you know, doing some shows and putting that money back into putting that money back into the studio. So, um, you know, we started like putting a small band together and then hiring singers who were already established or already known somewhat around the city and just performing covers. 
And so we did that a couple times at Bunkers. I just shot my shot. I sent an email. I didn't have any relationship with them other than the fact that I had already been um, subbing with the combo from time to time. Okay. And so I sent that email like, hey, I'm Brandon. I play with this, 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 this. And I'm just wondering if I can have a night. And they gave us a couple weekends and it started going well. And then that built into them offering us that weekly spot. Okay. So you had to, you yeah. had to kind of show up, prove yourself a little bit, show that For you sure. bring people into the club. For sure. For sure. I don't think I had any idea of what it was going to become because at the time I just, you know, Mint was going strong and I just didn't have any reason to say, let's start a band, you know, that just hadn't been on my mind in that way. Um, especially going back to like only doing covers, uh, which can be a lot. So yeah, I, it kind of came out of nowhere for everybody. I don't think bunkers expected it. And I don't think, you know, that was our intention either, but it came and we did it. We stepped up to the moment and we made something special. And then how long did that last until you guys decided you were going to do something else? It went on for about a year. We did it for a year on the Wednesday nights. And then we kind of decided, you know, we had built up the fan base enough or built up the following enough to where it might be more impactful. Uh, if we just go back to, you know, weekend shows, maybe once every couple months. Um, and, and then at the same time, like there was a lot of things that happened right at that same time. Right. So as we're ending that weekly residency, one, we had to stop calling ourselves Boombox because there's another group who was playing at the caboose and saw our name on the bill and people yes. who were buying tickets were confused. Oh, and so we did receive a cease and desist letter of using the name. Now we could have responded and we could have changed the letter or done any of that, but because we were, we were trying to go from, being known as a cover band to now creating our own content because we had some new faces in the band. It just felt like it was time to just go ahead and start over kind of and rebrand. So we changed the name. Right. And then that band became MPLS and you guys, did you guys yeah. playing for Prince at Paisley at one point? Oh uh, yeah. So we did, we did the, I can't remember what they were called Paisley after dark or whatever was going on every weekend. We did one of those, and it was kind of a big hubbub because, you know, he had all his stuff set up. Wow. Um, and so we're out there, but we kind of got the call before, like he just decided he wanted to play instead of us. Oh, wow. And so that was the first time. And then once we actually did do it, um, he was kind of there. He kind of peeked in, but he didn't like participate in the event. And there honestly, there just wasn't a ton of people who were there. And then the next time we played, uh, you know, I, kind of a funny story we were all kind of texting each other in the night of the grammys and uh i remember you know getting ready to go to bed and i got a text that was like hey you know can you and can you and the group get out here tonight it's already 10 30 at night right and so yeah. but nonetheless we mobilized very quickly yeah and we found we got ourselves out to basically park and then as we were you know we all decided to meet up there's a perkins or a gas station that's right around the corner and uh, we met there, and then we got the call that he changed his mind. He needed to do it another night. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we go back the next night, and then, yeah, so it's Prince, and he has Judith Hill there with him I and see. maybe one other person. And the room is dark. We don't see much. We don't can't even see him. The only reason we knew he was there is because his shoes were lighting up when he was walking uh, by. Yeah. <laughs> So that was it. So yeah, we did we did a quick little performance for them. Um, and turns out it kind of became like an audition for Chew Expand. And that's how Jesse, uh Jesse Larson got hooked up in that camp. So he started working for Prince by way of being a guitar player for Judith Hill. 
Okay. I didn't even yeah. realize Jesse was the guitar player for Judith Hill. I don't know how I missed that. Um, that yeah, no, the, the band was killing. It was Jesse on guitar. Mono Neon was on bass. Oh, man. Uh, Xavier was playing keys. And Kirk was playing drums. Jeez. Yeah, so it was a monster band. And I don't recall how many dates they did. I just remember Jesse was on paper for, I think, about a year or a year and a half or so. Yeah, wow. I'm always fascinated by the the whole Prince thing, and hearing you tell stories about him being like, "Can you come now? Can you come tonight? Can you come now at ten thirty? <laughs> I've talked to the Hornheads guys about that stuff because they used to get similar calls back way back. Yeah, in the, you know, and Mike Mike Nelson was was telling me like, you know, they'd get a call, they'd have their outfits just laid out, they'd have them like ready because they always had to look super hip too. So it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was like the, they would have their outfits all laid out, ready to go in case there was a call. And then they'd get there. You know, it's like they'd show up at midnight. They get a call super late at night. Show up at midnight, and Mike would write horn parts while yeah. while the horn players slept on the couch. And then they record them in the middle of the night. And the idea is like it's got to be done before Prince gets back in the morning. You know what I mean? It's like uh, yeah, man. And I will say, you know, to to keep in line with what you're trying to accomplish and what you want people to learn from this podcast, like. What we learned in that moment was the importance of being ready, you know, because the call can come at any point, any time, and you have to be ready. And long story short, I don't feel like we gave our, we put our best foot forward that night. We hadn't rehearsed in a while and we weren't sure what to put on the set list. Like we weren't ready. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think his feedback that he gave us from that night it helped us grow in tremendous ways. Like we all became better after that, but inside, you know, we didn't do everything we should have done to prepare for that level of a moment. So if, if your listeners take anything away from that story, I would love for it to be like, you know, you're not going to get a call from Prince too many times okay, right. <laughs> or artists of that caliber. And when you do, uh, I would strongly encourage you to put all your intention, your focus, into that moment and answer and, and just really be ready really really be prepared i mean and you should anyway you should go to any gig any performance any rehearsal prepared right but especially in these type of moments and had we done those things had we completely you know sold out and and committed to that moment who knows what we would be doing right now and you know right. not that anyone's upset with how it turned out but just you never know you never know what's going to happen you never know what you're needed for and what your gifts is making room for so be ready yeah be ready it's be great. ready it's a great lesson so what uh what does you you md for stokely right you kind of you're like music director of that band yeah I, I i reluctantly say yes to that just because you know an artist like stoke he, he's he's the music director right 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 <laughs> you know what i mean he's very sure of of what he wants um and then he's a drummer, so he also knows very specifically what he wants from me as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, like, that that's a different dynamic for me, uh, working for uh, such a capable artist who can play all of the stuff that you, you and your team are here to do. Right. So, but, yeah, my job is kind of band leader. Um, you know, I, I run the rehearsals. I, I'm just kind of an extension of him, just making sure everything on stage is, is what it's supposed to be. Okay. And then you – so you must – that must be the prerequisite for that is that you have to have the music completely internalized. And I, I think I heard somewhere that like even going into the audition, you just knew everything you, you had already kind of, or that was the mint audition maybe that you kind of knew all yeah. the music beforehand because you grew up playing it or something. 
Yeah, I definitely feel like I, I had an unfair advantage with the mint situation just because of how much time I spent, you know, playing that music. Like, uh, I saw a clip of a Quest Love interview that I saw years ago, and the clip just resurfaced uh, late last night where he's talking about, you know, the 10,000 hours. Right. <clears throat> that every, you know, every, every great person puts in. And I know for sure of 10,000 hours, like 8,000 was playing mint tunes. So, <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, I, I was I, for that particular audition. There was nothing that was going to, if they didn't like my playing, I could live with that, but it wasn't going to be because I didn't know the stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Right. I knew the stuff. Yeah. We're just going to pause there for a sec to say that this podcast is brought to you by the gig boss app. Jana and I created Gig Boss because we were leading our own groups, freelancing in others, touring, teaching private lessons, and doing freelance education work, all while raising our two boys. We needed a way to keep track of everything. Create a group, create an event, and start organizing the madness. Gig Boss app is free on iOS and Android. So how how integrated are is is your setup with Stokely and with with technology? Are you like also using a laptop? Are you triggering triggering uh, stuff from the laptop? Yes. And like how how long did it take you to get comfortable with that stuff? Oh man, um, that's been a journey. I dabbled with kind of like running loops. I started getting into that probably in the early two thousands. Yeah. With my small little drum machine that I didn't even really know how to hook up correctly. So like I was very inexperienced in in that whole area. But what happens is, you know, somewhere in the mint run, our monitor guy was out. So and he's normally the one pressing play. Yeah. And so he was out and they were like, Brandon, can you do it? And so they put the, you know, the rig back there with me and everyone was very happy with the transitions and et cetera, et cetera. And so it kind of stuck from there. And then I started doing it with with MPLS as well. I always always was running the show from from the laptop in the back with me and so it just kind of grew from there and so you know my pre- my preferred DAW has always been logic so my natural live application was main stage and i was i was very very well versed in main stage and then when stoke decided he wanted to do his own project he wanted to try ableton yeah and i knew very little close to nothing about ableton Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a huge learning curve for me. Um, but I feel like I'm in a good spot right now. I actually just finished some more programming last night. So yeah, man, it's been it's been a wild ride. But Ableton is uh, an amazing, an amazing piece of equipment that I use for everything now. So it's firing the tracks. I use it to. I don't even use sounds out of my SPD anymore. It's all coming from Ableton. I just kind of use the SPD as a MIDI uh, MIDI controller now. So. Yeah. I'm using Ableton for a lot of things. That's cool. I keep hearing, you know, it's like, that's what I hear from everybody. It's like, you got to be using Ableton. You got to be using it, you know, and I haven't learned it yet. It seems like, yeah. it seems like a, a mountain that I got to climb. And maybe if I just did it, it would be, <laughs> I'd get it over with. I, I use Logic and I use, I use Pro Tools a lot. Yeah. Um, I like originally learned how to edit on Pro Tools. And so that's where I'm most comfortable. But right. it's like, I know that these, these other things are better and can be used in a lot more circumstances. So it's like, man, I got to get on my Ableton game. Well, you know, man, for me, honestly, it's really just about do what you, what you can do well, you know? And if I didn't have time to really learn Ableton, I would still be on main stage just because of like, when it comes to having to run the tracks and be drummer, I want to have to do as little as possible in between the, the two of them. Right. And so I'm, with uh, Ableton in the beginning, I was always having to press buttons. 
during the song, after the song ended, I would start, stop, do all this other stuff. I wasn't great on the automation piece yet yeah. or any of the uh, the MIDI cues that I now know how to use. And so it was very laboring for me. And I just was like, well, until I get it where I need to, I'm just going to keep using mainstays because that's what I know the best. And that's how I can be the most efficient. So I would strongly suggest for anyone, you know, just do what you know when you're in these situations where you're, you're on a high profile gig or a high performance gig, like, Go with what you know. Go with the equipment and the tools that will help you do the the, the job in the most efficient manner. Don't right. worry about the latest and the greatest. Don't worry about what's you know cool on Instagram or what everybody else is using. Use what you know how to use well, for real. Yeah, yeah, that's a good lesson, man. I think it's easy to go like it's always it always kind of grass is greener, right? There's that element yeah. of social media too of always seeing all p- these people doing all these different things. Like I should be doing that. I should be making those kinds of videos. I should be, you know, it's like there, you can get wrapped up in that. Uh, For sure. Which is maybe a downward spiral. In addition to everything Brandon's been doing as a band leader, as a touring artist and as an engineer and producer, he's also now beginning to build relationships with people so that he can license his music. Oh man, yeah, absolutely. I um I've been doing a lot of freelance composing and writing for in the groove music um yeah. here in town. And so that takes up a good portion of my I won't say it takes up a good portion of my time, but I have to focus a lot of time and energy when those projects come up. Um, because I only have so many days to get it done, right? And so that's been a, a huge thing and sharpening that tool kind of in the, the TV and advertising world. Yeah, um, which is a completely different approach. But I'm also in the process of working on my own project, um, which is a new thing for me um, and kind of uncomfortable. It's a new I haven't done anything ever as Brandon Commodore. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I'm just trying to uh, get through this busy summer coming up here. It's kind of a juggling game between in the groove and obviously the, my Stokely uh, requirements. And then I've also been touring with new power generation. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that takes up a little bit of time as well. So, yeah, just balance, man. I'm trying to do balance, but stay stay creative and stay active and, and stay sharp. Yeah. So what what is the Brandon Commodore music sound like? Do you, do you have any line on that or are you still figuring that out? I'm still figuring that out, man. Like like I said, it's a very new space for me to be in. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out what it is that I want to say, you know, musically. Yeah. Um, are you singing and, at all or are you getting other people to sing? Oh, yeah, definitely getting other people to sing. There's no reason for me to sing whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, your sister nearby, too, I'm sure. Yeah, so my sister, I actually have a song with my mom as well, which I'm super excited about. Like, that's never happened before. So I'm, I'm super hyped about that one. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a blend of kind of jazz, soul, and hip-hop for sure. Cool, cool. Yeah. So your stuff for In the Groove, I want to talk about this a little bit because I'm super interested in music for ads and, and music for commercials and TV. Uh, yeah. when does, does in the groove, like send you an ad spot and you can see it and then you write something or are they like sending you a mood or a, a certain artist that they need to sound like, like how, how does that, how, how does it start when you start to make a track? Yeah. So there'll be a couple different things. Like the, the most recent one that I finished was for five songs that needed to be kind of a new, new neo soul, new funk sound. Um, and that was literally the only direction I was given. They gave me a couple of reference songs, but that was the least descriptive uh, project that I've been given. Huh. Um, in other cases, I'll get like, you know, a great couple paragraphs on what the mood is supposed to feel like, the type of instrumentation, what it's for, who it's for, what the purpose is and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's super helpful. 
Um, but it can kind of, you know, it can go either way. So, like, I do like the parameters. I like getting the, the as much detail as possible. But I also, you know, on this last project, dug the idea of digging in and figuring it out as well. Yeah. So, yeah. unfortunately, I, I haven't been able to, like, create along with visual, but I have got visual references before. But yeah. usually I'll get some sort of reference, whether it's a YouTube video or just a song or whatever. I'll get some references. Yeah. So I talked to an ad agency uh, creative who chooses music for ads and she was saying that like, you know, now it was really interesting what she said about how she chooses music, but she was saying now like they're using 15, 15 seconds max almost. So like how long are these tracks that you're making? Because everything's, you know, now that all the ads are for, are for short, it's all short form content. Um, yeah, making minute long tracks. You're making thirty second long tracks, or are you making full, you know, two two and a half minutes? Yeah, the ask of me is usually two to two and a half minutes, um, and then they then their team goes in and they'll rework all the shorter versions. So there'll be a thirty second version, there'll be a sixty second version, there'll be a version without drums, there'll be a version without the baseline, there'll be a version just vocals. Like, but right. they do all of that. Okay, okay, they do all of that. Cool. And do you work with anyone other than in the groove or is that exclusive with them and, and you can't use those tracks elsewhere? Uh, so what I give them is theirs. Um, yeah. I give my writer share, obviously, but the music is now theirs. Um, and I ha I'm not exclusive per se. I, I can, I'm certainly open to working with any and everyone at the moment. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not under a contract with, within the groove. Okay. Yeah, I see. Just a great relationship. Yeah, cool. So, hey, you're you're now on all these bills with all these heavy artists. I see all these bills with like Stokely playing with all these different artists. Like, is there anyone that has stuck out that you've been able to hang with that, that was a hero of yours that was impactful on you? Oh man, yeah, a bunch. Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be super sad if I don't remember everyone. But like one that comes to mind for sure would be uh like Aaron Spears, yeah, um, drummer for Usher for very many years, and Ariana Grande and I mean, he, his catalog is insane. Wow. Um, but he was in town uh, early, early on in my career. He was in town and I can't remember who introduced me to him, um, but we met and we exchanged numbers. And then like the next day he called me and was like, yo, man, I need to, uh, I need to go to church. Where can you take me? <laughs> nice. And so I picked him up and, and uh, the bass player he was rolling with at the time. This was uh, there on the American Idol tour. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, so we started our relationship there. And uh, and then my next time being with Mint in D.C., I was able to reach out to him. And, and he came through and took me to lunch, took me to Guitar Center. So Aaron Spears has been super cool. But there's been many people like that, not just Aaron. There's been many, many people who um, that I've established relationships. And, and sometimes it's not, you know, the the artist per se. Yep. But the people who work for him that are in the same boat as me. So, like, I'm friends with Beyonce's drummer. Uh, I'm friends with uh, this guy who plays bass with Charlie Wilson. I'm a monster of a musician. His name is Lawrence. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of people you meet out there on the road, man. And I'm super, like, super grateful and humbled by the the people who I kind of grew up watching or, you know, like, as you call them, my idols, my heroes, like Aaron Spears, man. Like, what he's done for drumming, yep. I mean, so to be able to text him and say, yo, what up to me? Like that just it blows my mind. Yeah, it's insane. I, I spent so many hours listening to Usher, man. That's that's uh Yeah. Super cool. Uh well cool, man. This is this is great. Uh I you know, I'm curious if you have any particular advice for young musicians 
that are coming up. You've said so many great things already. Um, if you know, for somebody that's trying to make it in the industry, is there one or two things that that you can can impart uh, from your experience? One thing that I would love for everybody, man, is to just get comfortable with what it is you do, right? Like, it's okay to have a thing and it be your own and it be authentic to you. Once you figure that out, like stick with that, develop that, harness that and turn it into whatever you want to turn it into. You know, being a producer and I've also done like some consulting for recording artists and things like that who are trying to get their project started or whatever. It's like one thing that I try to tell everybody is, you know, you have to know what you're out to do. You have to have some sort of intention or purpose or a plan, right? Yeah. And so don't just be like putting out music with no plan after it, if your intentions are to be a bona fide artist, right? right? Don't be putting up all of these clips on like something. Let me stay focused. <laughs> My point is to say like, do whatever it is your thing is and be okay with that. Like, so run your own race. If you're a coffee shop singer, then book your coffee shop tour. You know, don't get wrapped up in trying to play ice house or whatever else, you know, around town, like right. do what, do what suits you, do what suits your talent, do what suits your creativity. Don't try to change to be something else. Yeah. That's a huge thing to me. Wow. That's a great lesson. I, I've been reading this book, uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he talks about, yeah. like at the end, he talks about, um, he talks about how, like, if you try to do what everyone else does, then there's this massive pool and you don't have to necessarily be the most, talented natural right. genetically right it's like it's about being finding your own space and uh and and whittling down the competition by being more yourself um, yeah absolutely man. I, I always I, I found that i just heard that yesterday and i thought i was been listening to the audiobook it's a great it's a great book i mean and i can speak to that man i can personally speak to that i can say that you know for me my gigs are not about how great of a drummer i am people who know me know I don't even think I'm that dope on drums. Yeah. I can do the job, I, you know, I, and I can, I know how to play the drums, but I don't think I'm just like oozing this natural talent that you see some of these other people, you know, on YouTube and Instagram, like there's, there's phenomenal drummers all over the world. So even if I was insanely good, like that doesn't get you, but oh, so far, you yeah. know what I mean? And that, that's and, a lesson in and of itself, right? It's more about yeah. serving the song, playing the song, being able to yeah, play yeah. Music, right? And serving the gig, you know what I mean? Like, unfortunately, like I've, I've been with some musicians who who have gotten some big opportunities and one, you know, in one situation, they didn't do their homework. They didn't research the artists they were working for and they didn't know the tunes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not talking about the set list. I'm talking about other songs that this artist has performed before or has written before you got to know that stuff. you got to know the the catalog right if you're on a high profile gig especially you must know the catalog whether it's in your current set list or not or you know so there, there are things that you can do that kind of take away from how well you play and you will find yourself at home right right <laughs> well man that's great i think that's a great lesson and uh i think it's a great place for us to stop we don't have to we don't have to keep going um Word up, man. Thank you for taking the time uh, to talk with me, and uh, this is this is really enlightening. Sweet. Yeah, man. Man, thanks so much for having me, Adam. Yeah, appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you're listening on YouTube, please hit like and please hit subscribe. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. And actually, if you can type out a little review, that would be super awesome. That helps me out. It helps us grow this thing. You can also now join our Facebook group, Gig Boss Podcast, where you'll hear from me directly and we'll do some debriefs of episodes where I'm just talking about what I learned and what I experienced having these great conversations with these amazing artists. Click the link in the description to join the Facebook group. Thanks for listening.